Good morning, everyone. The last time I, I spoke here at Abbey, it was some weeks ago now, but it, it was in the Acts, and it was uh, from chapter 9. And it was about the transformation of Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. And that happened by him meeting Jesus of Nazareth on the road to Damascus. I'm sure you're all familiar with the story. One of the things that God said in that passage to Ananias was, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. That was verse 15. Later, Paul, writing to the Romans, says this, Romans 11, verse 13, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And he was. And then Paul, writing later to the Galatians, in Galatians 2, verses 8 and 9, he said this, For God, who was at work in Peter, as an apostle to the circumcised, the Jews, was also at work in me, as an apostle to the Gentiles. So why did Peter go and preach to Cornelius and other Gentiles in Acts chapter 10? And Darren led us in that a few weeks ago as well. If Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, why does Peter start the show, get the, the show on the road, so to speak? Now the Lord had an important lesson to, pre to teach Peter. And Darren reminded us of this when he, when he did chapter 10. The lesson was that, he do, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every, from every nation the one who fears him. The word nation in the New Testament in the Greek is the same word for Gentile. The Lord accepts every Gentile. The one who fears him, fears him and does what is right. That's Acts 10, verses 34 and 35. Also, for Peter to go to the Gentiles, as he did in Caesarea, this was contrary to Jewish history and Jewish culture and all that the Lord had previously revealed to them in the Old Testament. I mean, to start with, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, God says to the children of Israel, You are the children of the Lord your God, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, it says the servant of the Lord, that's the Messiah, would be a light for the Gentiles. So if God had chosen the Jews out of all the nations on the earth, and Gentiles, remember, are all the other nations, not the Jews, then why should Peter or any Jew uh, go and preach to the Gentiles because they're not chosen. God chose the Jews. This was the background that Peter came from. 
And when, when uh, in Isaiah, the ser- Isaiah says the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, would be a light to the Gentiles, a light is to attract things, isn't it? Like a light will attract moths and, and insects. The, they were supposed to be, uh, the, the Messiah was to be a light to attract the Gentiles to God. How did the Jews get around that, having read that? Well, they assumed that that was okay, but the Gentiles would have to become Jews first. And that's what happened. Many Gentiles became, well, some Gentiles became Jews. They called them proselytes. So the men had to be circumcised. They had to eat the right things and do the right things and follow the law of Moses. And that was okay, and the Jews were happy with that. But for anything more than that, They couldn't understand how this could happen. They couldn't understand how Gentiles could be accepted by God independently of the Jews. So Peter and his fellow Jews needed some divine guidance. And that's what chapters 10 and 11 are all about. The Lord guided Peter through a major personal and cultural encounter involving a very distasteful decision. And that decision was for him to enter the home of an uncircumcised man, Cornelius, a foreigner. If you excuse the term, a pig-eating Roman. That's how the Jews saw them, because pork was banned for the Jews, as you know. And he had to eat with them. This is uh, verse 2. In Jerusalem, Paul was immersed in Judaism. It was all around him. The temple was there. All the priests were there. The scribes were there. This was the center of Judaism. So he was immersed in it. He didn't face, come into contact with Gentiles, he didn't face Gentile choices. And his response to them would always be theoretical while he was there in Jerusalem. He needed to be immersed in the Gentile world, surrounded by Gentiles, be forced to make choices and decisions in that real Gentile world in order for the Holy Spirit to guide him in reality to what God was about to do because it was about to shake the Jewish nation to its very foundations. Peter had to learn to move in the will of God and walk by faith out of his comfort zone. As we do often in a godless world. Acts 9.32 says, As Peter traveled about the country, the Spirit guided him to Joppa, or Jaffa as it's called today. Now you remember Jesus told them, uh, go and start with Jerusalem and then Judea and and Samaria, and then to the other most parts of the earth. So Jesus' last word to his disciples were, get moving. But they stayed in Jerusalem. Now, there was a lot to do in Jerusalem. There were a lot of converts. There was a lot of discipleship, a lot of teaching. So they stayed there. But, but by Acts 9, Peter, the leader, the leading apostle to the Jews, was on the move. And uh, he came to Joppa. Like a ship... Peter would be more easily guided when moving. A ship's rudder only works 
with the pressure of water moving over it. So if a ship is stationary, you can't guide it. You can turn the wheel in the, in the, the bridge, but, but it doesn't turn the rudder. Well, it does turn the rudder, but it doesn't move the ship. Nor and I found out about this when we moved to New Zealand in 1984. We went there to be missionaries with the South Sea Evangelical Mission. And we were watching the television news the following year, 1985. I remember it well. All sorts of things happened in 1985 for us. Um, and while watching this television news, I saw a cargo ship crashing into the Wellington Docks, New Zealand. And it ripped a huge gash down the side of this steel hull. Caused a million dollars worth of damage, which was a lot back in those days. Later, I was visiting Wellington uh, to preach in a church there. And I preached, and afterwards, they invited me back to one of their homes for a cup of tea and a sandwich. And while I was there, I was talking, and the, the person who had the house said to me, See that guy over there in the corner? He's the one. I said, what do you mean, he's the one? He's the one that crashed the ship into Wellington Docks. He was a Christian. I thought, wow, Christians don't crash ships into docks, surely. <laughs> so I went over to talk to him. I was talking to several people, uh, not just him. <laughs> but there was a question I wanted to ask him. Uh, <laughs> How do you do it? With all today's technology, this huge ship, it was, it was a big ship, how can you crash it into a dock? And so I said, were you going too fast? Presumably he said, no, he said, um, I was going too slow. I said, you sure you don't mean you were going too fast? And he said, no, uh, we were coming in. He said, it was totally my fault and, and I had, shut down the engines and we were, were coming into the dock, but we were coming in too slow. You see, he explained to me, with a rudder, if it's going too slow, there isn't enough pressure on the rudder. So they turn the wheel in the bridge and the rudder doesn't, doesn't turn. The, uh, the pressure of the water isn't enough. So he said, I could see the dock coming up to meet me and uh, I knew I was going to hit it. There was absolutely nothing I could do. If I had only come in faster, it would have been all right. In the same way, Christians are more easily guided by God when we're moving. Now, not necessarily geographically. I don't mean walking down the street, but moving and growing in the will and purposes of God. How do we do that? By regularly reading the Bible, regularly praying. Being obedient to the Holy Spirit by doing what the Bible says. That's what I mean by moving in the will of God. As we're guided by the word of God, Galatians 5.25 tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. We should be moving and keeping in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? By knowing what the Spirit wants. How do we know that? By reading our Bibles and by praying and developing our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, 
In the Old Testament, chapter 30, verse 21, there's a very interesting verse. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. If you want to be guided, listen to the voice of God, listen to the voice of the Spirit. But you have to turn to be guided. It doesn't say if you sit where you are and do nothing, don't read your Bible and don't pray, God will guide you. It doesn't say that. It says as you turn to the right or to the left, the Spirit's voice will say to you, this is the way, walk in it. Stationary Christians usually fall, either into sin or asleep, and neither are very good. Now in Acts 11, we come to the Acts 11 passage now. Acts 11, verses 4 to 10. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice, obviously God's voice, telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter felt revulsion at even the thought of doing that. And that's why he said, I've never eaten anything that's unclean. But he also said something else. He said, verse 8, I replied, surely not, Lord. How can you say, surely not, Lord? Those are mutually exclusive terms. If God is Lord, we can't say, surely not. It's the same as saying no. Peter was saying no to God. No, I've never done anything like that. Lord, if he's Lord, he requires obedience and we should obey him. Now, I understand fully how Peter felt. Well, maybe not fully, but I understand how you feel because I experienced that in the Solomon Islands. When Nora and I first went to the Solomon Islands, uh, again, to be missionaries with the South Sea Evangelical Mission, we were at a Bible college on a remote island, and uh, they were welcoming us. We were honored guests. And uh, we got off the boat and we were walking, walking through to be greeted. And, and there I saw a turtle upside down on the back of its shell. And I asked them, well, why is the turtle upside down? <laughs> and they said, well, we don't have fridges here. So that's how we keep our meat fresh. So you have to catch the turtle in advance. You can't go out five minutes before the speaker arrives and go and try and catch a turtle. But we have to keep the meat fresh. So he was there. Well, that was fine. That night, we had our children with us as well. Not, not Ben, who's with us today, but his brothers. They were with us, and they were little. And that night, there was a feast. And so we gathered for this feast. And being the honored guest, I had to go and plunge the ladle in for the first time. I was the first one to serve myself. So I went up to this huge vat of soup. And I put my ladle in. And as I brought it out, 
There were two eyes looking at me. <laughs> Turtle eyes. <laughs> what made it worse was I, I, that earlier that day I'd seen him alive, struggling to right himself on the back of his shell. And I mean, we're just not used to this sort of thing, are we? I mean, I, I'm used to walking down to Tesco's and buying something pre-packed. Here God says to Peter, go and kill these things that you wouldn't want to eat and eat them. Requiring obedience. Another thing that happened to us in those early days in mission that I shared with you. We went first to Australia before we went to the Solomon Islands and, uh, and New Zealand. And uh, it was well, it was Christmas 1982, we left this country. And the chairman of our mission board was principal of a Bible college in New South Wales. And we went there to meet him. And we went into the students' dining room. They had ordinary things to eat there, like kangaroo steaks and things. So we went into the dining room, and there, on the wall, was an amazing painting. A really big painting. And at the front, in the foreground was a Christian. You know that because he's got a Bible in his hand and he sat at a little table with a Bible and he's praying. Now behind, in the background, there are all kinds of people dressed in different kinds of clothing and different hairstyles and they're people from the nations. This is representing the nations. And they are all winding their way down through the world and coming past him, flowing past this Christian who's there, and then off to the side where there's a big precipice and smoke rising from the precipice, and it's supposed to represent hell. So all of these unreached peoples streaming through the world to eventually end up in hell. And there's a caption on the painting. The caption said, I'm waiting to be called. I am, well, lots of students come to the Bible college and, and want to end up being missionaries. So he, that was him. That was his desire. But he was waiting to be called. In spite of all of these millions of unreached people who didn't know anything about Jesus, who'd never heard of Jesus, sweeping past him and he reads his Bible. He knows where they end up. But he was waiting to be called instead of obeying a plain command. The Great Commission, we call it. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. People groups. That means not, not political countries, but people groups. Now, Peter was... Uh, here in Joppa, uh, being faced with this dilemma of what, what he had seen in the vision. And he, he understood. Because Peter knew the story of uh, Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, God commanded Jonah, Go to that great city of Nineveh, which was a Gentile city, and preach against it. God is there commissioning, commanding 
Jonah the prophet to go to the Gentiles. Did Jonah go? He didn't, did he? What did he do? Do you remember what Jonah did? Where, where did he, he ran away? Where did he run to? Yeah, he ran to, well, yeah, he had to get to Tarshish, so he, he ran to Joppa to get a ship, the same place that Peter was. Different times, obviously. Peter knew the story of Jonah. Uh, I don't think he was taking any chances because in uh, verses 11 and 12, uh, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. This wasn't God calling Peter to do this. This was God commanding Peter to do this and expecting obedience. The same thing was true of Jonah. God expected obedience from Jonah, but Jonah did not obey. He ran away and went the other way. Peter didn't have Paul's massive theological intellect, but he wasn't dumb. And he didn't want to repeat Jonah's classic mistake, drastic mistake. You remember what happened to Jonah when he tried running from God and found it couldn't be done. And so Peter immediately went with these three Gentiles that came just after Peter had had three visions about distasteful things that he didn't want to get involved with, obviously representing these three Gentiles that were coming to call him. He will bring you uh, these six, sorry, verse uh, 13. He told us how he had seen an angel, this is uh, Cornelius, appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He'll bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. It's, it's at Pentecost. Now that's an abbreviated account there. So it's important to just go recap and look at s- and see what happened in chapter 10 because you get the impression there that as he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles and he didn't really have the opportunity to, to preach what he wanted to, but it, that, that's just an abbreviation. So the page before in chapter 10 This is what Peter says. You know that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. That's what Peter and the other apostles were, witnesses to Jesus Christ. But God, uh, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. 
that God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter preached that, and it was at that point. Chapter 10, verse 44 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. There, then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So what was the reaction to these circumcision sect who were believers in chapter 11? Chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter had explained to the gospel, explained the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ, explained the importance of repentance, he explained all of this, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them. You might remember that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the keys to the kingdom to Peter. Now this doesn't mean that Peter decided who would enter the kingdom of God, but that God would allow him the privilege of opening the door of faith to the Jews at Pentecost, Acts 2, the Samaritans, Acts 8, and the Gentiles in Acts 10. And so the naysayers had nothing more to say. They were the ones who who expected to make all of the uh, Gentiles be circumcised and, uh, and follow the Jewish rules. But that didn't happen. So God has now guided the church, guided the church through a major uh, theological minefield. So does that mean that everything's settled? No, no, afraid not. <laughs> Because when we get to Acts chapter 15, we find that the issue of the Gentiles is still a problem to the Jews. So the Jerusalem Church Council met to resolve it once and for all. And in that, I just quote something that Peter said. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That's what happened. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, to us, sorry, to them, just as he did to us. 
He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. So to answer my first question, why did Peter go to Cornelius and preach to the Gentiles if Paul was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles? So that Peter would put his seal of approval, his apostolic seal of approval. He was the one God had given the keys of the kingdom to. He was the first one to realize that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And to announce that, everyone looked to Peter for the lead at that time. And so Peter takes the gospel initially to the Gentiles. And then it's handed on to Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he writes a lot of the rest of our Bible, as you know. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about, he writes about a mystery made known to him, this is Paul, by revelation. Something that people in previous generations didn't know. God didn't reveal it to anybody in the Old Testament. God didn't reveal it to Abraham. He didn't reveal it to David. He didn't reveal it to Jacob. He revealed it to Paul. And Paul then could teach everyone the theological dynamics of how we Gentiles could believe and be accepted just the way the Jews were. Now Peter was an apostle and he didn't find guidance easy. Do you find guidance easy? Well, if Peter was an apostle and he didn't find it easy, I suspect that many of us are not going to find it easy. Not, not all the time. Uh, but we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, as Peter did. And we have the completed New Testament to guide us, which Peter didn't. Which reminds me, when I was, uh, when I was a youngster, um, living in Exeter, doing some flying, I mentioned to you before, I think that that I used to do some flying there with the Air Force. Um, one of the things that I remember was the, the jets that I was flying in at that time uh, had an Air Force pilot with me. They were two-seaters, and I was sat beside him. Uh, and he was explaining the controls, and one of the things he explained to me was the, uh, the radio direction finder. Because every airport has a beacon, a radio beacon. Because I was interested to know, how are you going find to find our way back? to Exeter, because we were miles from Exeter at that point. And he said, oh, that's okay, We've, Exeter's got a beacon. And when that radio beacon flashes, it shows it here in the cockpit. And it shows the direction of it. There's a light with an arrow in it. And it points to Exeter. And so he said, I know that's the direction I have to go. Each airport has a different beacon, so he knew which was Exeter. He knew which way to go. We need to be guided as Christians in a similar way, not using instruments, but by the word of God, the Bible, which is our beacon, the spirit of God, our relationship with Jesus Christ as that develops, as we get to know the Lord Jesus better, the spirit of God leads us into all truth. And that must result in obedience. Peter had to obey in the end and go to the Gentiles. 
Jonah had to obey in the end and go to Nineveh. In John chapter 14, verse 23, the Lord says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If we love the Lord Jesus, and if I asked you, I'm sure you'd say you would, then we must obey his teaching. But if we're going to obey his teaching, we have to know what it is. And that's where reading our Bibles every day is so important. So if we want to be guided by him through the various decisions we have to make in this world, the various problems and difficulties that we face, yeah, we're all going to face those to a certain extent. We need the guidance of God. And we know his beacon. There, there it is. So as we pray to him and as we develop our relationship to him, he will guide us as he guided Peter. As he guided Jonah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that you were willing to send him, as Peter said, to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we thank you, Father, that our sins, we know, can be forgiven today in this century as they could in the days of Peter if we have faith in him, if we trust him, as we, if we obey him. And so, Lord, we pray that as we face difficulties in our lives, as we face decisions, Lord, we pray that we will look to your word and listen to the voice of your spirit behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.